Hello and welcome to Success Stories. I'm Kendra Hall, Chief Storytelling Officer at Success Magazine, and this is the podcast where we sit down with the brightest stars and the boldest thought leaders as they share their stories so you can create your own success story. Erica Dewan is a communications expert with 15 years experience studying the way we interact with each other. Erica is just out with her second book, Digital Body Language, How to Build Trust and Connection No Matter the Distance. Erica, welcome to success. We are so excited to hear your stories. Thank you, Kendra. I'm so excited to be here. You know, I we we have a lot to talk about. I am also a communications person. I have my master's in communications and I've been thinking about this, not so much digital communication, but definitely nonverbal communication. So we we have a lot to get to, but before we get into any of that, there is a question that I like to ask everybody. And it's the kind of question that I should probably save for the end of the interview. And I probably should have warned you about it before I asked this to you, but it's my favorite question. So I figure why not start here? Erica, what, what is your definition of success? Success to me is following my heart and expressing myself in a way that allows me to enable others to achieve a shared purpose in the face of uncertainty. Mm -hmm. Have you seen your definition of, and I know you're, you're a wife, you're a mother, you're an entrepreneur. Um, Have you seen your definition of success change as the years have gone on or in the different phases of life? And I know this is your second book. I grew up in a family of Indian immigrants, and my model of success growing up was about getting straight A's, getting all the top degrees. I got three Ivy League degrees, worked on Wall Street at Lehman Brothers, and you know my whole notion of success, which was very much about external achievement for much of my life, really hit a wall uh, back in 2008 when I worked through the Lehman Brothers crisis and saw not only being at the company, how that impacted this one company, but actually changed the world and impacted people's lives everywhere. And that was an inflection moment that had me rethinking what success really means. It led me on my own soul-searching journey to really ask myself, what was success for me and how was I going to achieve it? And I completely switched gears from the life of an investment banker, uh, went on to study at communication and collaboration uh, and write my first book, which led to a whole journey I never would have expected. Mm, that is, it, it, isn't it funny how we do, we have those crossroad moments where it's like, I, uh, and, and you say growing up and checking all the boxes, like this is what, and I think we do, we start with the definitions of success that have been handed down to us that we've grown up with. Um, I can't imagine being there on the floor in the 2008 crisis at the very heart of it. Um, and now, as you said, you have started a whole new journey where you're, you're, you're studying the way that humans interact with each other, particularly in the workplace. And this new book, uh, Digital Body Language. So, so tell me, first, take me back. Where did this study of 
communication, digital communication, maybe even did it start with maybe nonverbal communication? Like where did this all begin for you? Tell me that story. I grew up as a shy and introverted girl in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, my parents were Indian immigrants. So at home we spoke Hindi and Punjabi, which was a dialect of Hindi. And at school, I had broken English and accented English. I struggled to find my voice and I often got straight A's given my, you know, my notion of what success was then. Every teacher had the same feedback. I wish Erica spoke up more in class. One of the things that I developed because I was shy was really the ability to observe others' body language. I remember being at home and watching Bollywood movies and not exactly knowing what every actor was saying in Hindi, but knowing what they meant through their moves. And then at school, I would study how the popular girls had their heads high and their shoulders back and the cool kids had you know, slouching during school assemblies, it developed my passion and understanding that it's not just about what we say, but how we say it. And body language is a critical way to allow us to get heard, respected, and trusted. I then continued and was able to get ridiculously hard job opportunities because of my ability and understanding body language. I taught public speaking and built a whole practice really around helping to improve collaboration in the workplace. But then about five years ago, I noticed something happening. All my clients were asking the same few questions. Why is there so much misunderstanding at work? How do we better connect with different ages and working styles? And what I realized was that there was no playbook for how we connect digitally when body language cues are not as visible. I realized that just like I was the immigrant, struggling to learn traditional body language. Today, we are all immigrants, the world of digital body language. And that's what set me on the path to write this book. Well, and I I think it's fascinating because we're having this conversation, uh, you know, the spring of 2021. You said that it was about five years ago. You noticed that you started getting all these questions and why it's so hard. But just one year ago, not only was it, I mean, we lost all connection, all the nonverbal, all of the body language. So, so can you take me back to, you know, maybe four years ago or uh, pre-COVID, what people were struggling with, what you were seeing, and then now how that is affecting people in this almost exclusive, we're both based in New York. I, I don't have friends, my friends aren't going to the office. They don't see, they are on the screen and that is it. I'll never forget pre-pandemic, about three years ago, I was on a call. Three of us were remote and three people were in the office. And it wasn't until the 26th minute of a 30-minute conference call that someone in the office said, does anyone on the phone have something to add? We had been excluded the entire meeting. This is just an example of some of the greatest challenges we experienced pre-pandemic. Let me give you one more. I'll never forget one of my clients. He shared a story with me of sending a high priority message to his boss, Tom, that said, do you want to speak Wednesday or Thursday? And Tom's response was yes. Now I share those two examples because well before the pandemic, research showed that roughly 75% of communication is our nonverbal body language, but already pre-pandemic up to 70% of team communication was already virtual emails, conference calls, geographically dispersed teams, even in the same offices, on the same floors, we were emailing each other back and forth versus just walking down the halls. So digital body language was a critical skill pre-pandemic. But in the last year, it has exploded in ways that I never imagined. 
Today, digital body language shows up in how we design Zoom meetings so that people are actually engaged. They're not multitasking. It shows up in how we send thoughtful emails. I like to say in the world of email anxiety, reading messages carefully is the new listening and writing clearly is the new empathy. Mm. And last but not least, knowing how to use all the tools and how to move between tools is such a critical practice. In many ways, I say a phone call is worth a thousand emails. So pre-pandemic, it was important. Today, I think it is a critical skill that will either make or break who gets heard and gets credit and, and is able to accelerate it to achieve their success versus not. Yeah. I mean, I... I think about all of the different communications that, you know, and sometimes you just, you need to send an email really quick and you want brevity in your, you think that they want brevity because they don't want a lot of, but then you cut it out and then it gets, I mean, there are so many opportunities for miscommunication. And what have you seen? Like, I never really considered, I mean, I, I've been thinking a lot about nonverbal communication um, from my kids perspective, just when it comes to school and how much communication actually happens with your face. Um, so this is obviously different than than digital, but when you're masked the whole time, when you're masked, when your teacher is masked, like they have to explicitly say, the teacher has to say to my child, I am smiling at you right now. I like that idea. What used to be just a natural thing. So, so, and now I suppose we're seeing this, gosh, and yeah, how much is being, we measure so much on how we think people are responding to us, but if we can't gauge how they're responding to us, yeah, like the anxiety, the, the fear, is this what you're seeing? What are you seeing is like kind of the breakdown of this. this I'll break it down for you, Kendra. What was implicit in traditional body language now has to be explicit in digital body language. The head nod, the smile, the pursed lips, the shrugged shoulders, all of these cues that allowed us to understand what was really happening in the room. So some simple tips to think about how do we apply this in the digital world? We all knew the first impression was seven milliseconds within meeting someone. Today, I like to say, especially in the workplace, the new first impression is that meeting calendar invite. Did you have a good meeting title? Did you have an agenda? Were you on time? The simple things that happened before the meeting. I like to say the new virtual handshake is the email recap after the meeting. Mm. What got done? Is everyone aligned? Are you really on the same page? Or in the next meeting, are you discussing what you talked about in the previous meeting? These are simple cues that allow everyone to engage and connect. And in many ways, we all were used to our physical cues sharing a lot of that. And today we have to rethink it in a new way. One of the insights I found was some of these lobbyist individuals with digital body language were not the youngest people. We're not even the middle managers. They were senior leaders yeah. who were very used to sending brief one-liners that they thought would allow everyone to move quickly, but we're creating a lot of confusion. One of my clients, a chief marketing officer, was on a Zoom call and she was giving some feedback to her team about a deliverable that she was going to share with a board. And she said, you know, let's iterate on this topic a bit more. What she thought she said was, let's add two more bullet points on this slide. 
The team comes back a week later, spent about 30 hours drafting 10 new slides. She was just looking for two bullet points. Mm. Never confuse a brief message with a clear message and understand to think before you type and carry extra weight with your words. Yeah. It, so, so here's, here's my question, you know, like the, the follow-up afterwards, the, you know, crafting, the, that seems like a lot of extra effort. It seems like a lot of extra time. It seems like the kind of thing that you'd be like, ah, you know, I don't really, can we not do it anymore? I mean, is that's not even an option anymore, is it? Like you have to. In many ways right now, one of the greatest pain points that weakens trust is either a lack of communication, unclear communication, uh, or a lack of follow-up in a way that allows everyone to achieve their goals. And let's be honest, it was easier in the office to read people's eyes, to call on them. We knew whether someone was on the verge of tears versus happy, and we adjusted our language. If we're just sending an email, we have no idea how individuals are feeling on the other side. So the truth is, yes, there's no silver bullet. This is harder. And this is in many ways why I realized we needed a playbook. This Mm -hmm. playbook is not just for remote skills. It is just as important as we go back to the office and lead hybrid meetings where half of the team members are coming in on video, half of them are in the room, and it will allow us actually to be better communicators Mm -hmm. when we go back as well. I think of your story, Kendra, about your kids with teachers with math, and it's very similar. My daughter is two and a half years old, learning speech from teachers in math, and the way they learn is through verbal yeah, physical, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, views of how teachers are moving their mouths. And what I've had to realize is that she's going to have to get a lot of reinforcement explicitly, verbally, versus just seeing those physical cues. I think that in many ways, this is going to allow us all to actually be better communicators when we go back to the office. Yep. Yeah. Because they, you said it and I hadn't even, I hadn't really thought of it that way before. I've been thinking about it. Oh, now we're all virtual, but we've really been most of my communication with my team. My team has been dispersed this whole, I've never had a team in the same neighborhood. You're, you're in my neighborhood. We should be, you would be the closest team member, except for my husband, who's just in the other room. But like, it's always been, it's always been dispersed. So our communication, whether we go back to the office or not, being better at this is going to be a long-term skill. So here's a question I have for you then. Um, I, I have a few questions. How do you feel about like, So implicit versus explicit, how do you feel like I want to go like really granular and then I want to go back to because I know you have the four laws, but how do you feel about exclamation points like that kind of emojis? It could either be a shorthand way to be explicit or it's a shorthand way to disaster. So what do you what do you advise? Well, the good news is I've broken it down. I've created a digital elements of style of punctuation marks and symbols in the book, but I'm gonna give you the cliff notes right now. So let's start with exclamation points. That simple exclamation, one exclamation point used to mean, you know, just general excitement. Today, exclamation points for some can feel like excitement, for others, it can feel like shouting, especially mm-hmm. if you have an all caps. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, it's almost like the new version of the furrowing of the brows or the raised eyebrows. Mm-hmm. Let's go to emojis. Emojis are really like the new facial expressions. The mm-hmm. range from happy to sad. Emojis can be used to show passive aggressiveness. They can also be used to show excitement. Mm-hmm. We've all seen messages where we're, we're kind of thinking that that emoji wasn't as 
happy as as someone was trying to intend it to be. Another one, periods. One research study showed that if we put a period at the end of a text, about 50% of Americans will think we're being rude or angry. The other 50 will think that we're just using good grammar. This skews younger, especially digital natives use periods in a different way in chat tools and in texting tools. So again, we are in a brave new world of digital body language. And my general rule for all of these punctuation marks, and don't worry, I have clear definitions. If you have one exclamation versus three. Or like the exclamation, the question mark followed by the exclamation point. That's that's one of my favorites. Yeah. (laughs) One of, well, now we all know that's one of your favorites, Kendra, but The general rule of thumb is number one, don't get emotionally hijacked. Don't read into them too much. Assume good intent. Remember to check your own bias of what you might interpret. If your grandmother sends you a text message in all caps with multiple exclamations, you may think, you know, you may not think about that the same way that that as if your boss did that. So understanding your audience and assuming good intent can go a long way in, in our brave new world. I love that you say that. I think assuming good intent, I think there needs to be a t-shirt with that printed on it. I think a lot, it would go a long way if that was our baseline to assume good intent. Um, A follow-on question to this, and then I have another one that came up as I was thinking about this. Are there gender differences in, so obviously I'm a, I find myself going back through an email that, and I'm a very enthusiastic person. Um, I prefer exclamation points to caps, but I often will do italics. So not capitalization, but I'll go the extra mile for the font italics. But then I do go back and make sure that I've deleted most, I'll give myself like one, maybe two enthusiastic exclamation points, because I feel like perhaps as a woman, it might be taken a certain way. Are there gender differences, which sounds so weird to say, but are there gender differences? Um, You mentioned age, but when it comes to digital body language. Absolutely. Just like we navigated gender differences with up-talking, or an individual twirling their hair or a man man spreading in an mm-hmm. office setting, we see gender differences in the world of digital body language. For example, we do see that certain times women feel pressured to use multiple exclamation points, emojis yeah. to pepper up or soften their language. And men don't feel the same type of pressure. I saw this again and again in my research. At the same time, We also see that there are some biases to these in the workplace. One study by a linguist showed that if a younger woman used multiple emojis in a workplace email compared to a man at the same age or rank or at a higher rank, the woman would be more likely to be seen as incompetent. Mm -hmm. The man would be more likely to be seen as casual or friendly. My general rule of thumb is these biases are difficult and we have to break through them. Let's encourage women to lessen their exclamations if they don't, to not feel pressure to use them if they don't want to. And let's encourage men to add an emoji or two and break these biases. But the key is we have to become aware that they exist and to check our own judgments of other individuals if they have a different digital body language style from us. Yeah. I mean, it it really is. It's an entire, it's just a different language. I mean, I can even see, um, I'm sure you rem- you can see kind of when uh, people learned how to type uh, because there was a point at which it was you were supposed to have a period and then two spaces afterwards. 
And now it's acceptable that it's a period in one space afterwards. Mm-hmm. But you can, isn't it funny that you can see the people who had were in school at the point of it's it's a fascinating all these little nuances. So what do you recommend if you receive a message or you start receiving like subtle feedback to a message you put out? You mentioned earlier a phone call is worth a thousand emails. Do you recommend picking up the phone and just saying, "Hey, wanted to follow up on that email"? Or is that does that sound too redundant? What have you What have you learned in your work? Let's start with if you get a confusing email and you don't know what to do, what do you do? So let me give you three tips here. Mm-hmm. the The first uh, recommendation I have is. Don't get emotionally hijacked or worried, especially if it's a boss. Sometimes we can feel anxious if we get a message in all caps. We think, are they mad when they're just rushing or a confusing, we need to talk, dot, dot, dot. And you think maybe you're getting fired, but it's just a meeting request. Yes. So so don't get emotionally hijacked. Uh, Secondly, always ask for clarity. Uh, if you, especially if you feel that someone may be passive aggressive, don't respond or react to that by saying, get a grip. This is what I need to say. You know, I, I am trying to make sure that we uh, hit the deadline of tomorrow at 10 AM. Can you let me know exactly what you need? Uh, and by when, especially if someone says we need to fix this dot, dot, dot. Uh, so really just avoiding any sense of passive aggressiveness and asking for clarity goes a long way. Third, if you're seeing a repeated pattern, maybe someone is switching and getting really formal on you. That's a moment where you might want to wonder what's going on. This Mm -hmm. is a moment where it might be useful if you see a repeated pattern to pick up the phone or ask a trusted advisor. Maybe something happened that you don't know. So those are some examples when you get a confusing message. The other side of it is making sure you are sending messages that are clear, not confusing. And what you can do here is first just think before you type from their perspective. Am I sharing all the relevant information they need to do their best work? The who, what, and when. Again, simple practice, but we're not always thinking that way. Second, especially in written communication, your emails are visual. People read them like websites. So bullet points, font, bold and underlined headings, these things matter and they allow people to get to the point. And lastly, even the art of the subject line in the world of digital body language helps decide who gets heard and who doesn't. So be thoughtful versus rushed. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like I'm dwelling on an email too long. And actually what I'm learning is that this is important to be clear. This is a way that people are going to see and understand you. And I mean, yeah, that could be their first impression. So tell me, Erica, you have the four laws of digital body language. And I know we've talked about some of them throughout. And and what I love about the book is the clarity with which it is written. Like it's very, there's a lot of usable and there's some great stories in there too. Um, but tell me, can you break down what those four laws are and and maybe just give us a sense for why each one matters or a, a tip for a tip for each? The first law of digital body language is to value others visibly. Now, we used to value others through the eye contact, through meeting in a room, having an offsite, taking the team out to dinner and saying, great job. I appreciate mm. you and all your hard work with the head nod, with the smile, with all those physical cues. Today, 
Valuing others visibly is valuing their time, their inboxes, and their calendars without being a rush about in about it ourselves. It's taking that extra step to be thoughtful in our words and thoughtful in how we engage. The second law of digital body language is to communicate carefully. We've already talked a lot about this, Kendra, but I'll summarize it. And communicating carefully is sharing unambiguous expectations and norms so that everyone knows what to do. Uh, we're not getting messages where a team member asks, should we move forward and or gather more information? And the answer is yes, where we have no idea whether we should move forward or gather more information. <laughs> the third law of digital body language is to collaborate confidently. Now, collaborating confidently means something different today. Confidence used to look like gregarious body language and, and being assertive in a room. Today, it's about being consistent, saying what you'll do, doing what you'll say, following through in your commitments mm-hmm. and making sure that others don't have to chase you down constantly to get work done. And last but not least, the fourth and final law is really the the summary of valuing visibly, communicating carefully, and collaborating confidently. And that is called trust totally. Trusting totally is about giving others psychological safety to speak up, to be vulnerable, and to create shared spaces, Mm -hmm. to avoid groupthink and create real innovation. And so much of that is about creating virtual water cooler moments and assuming the best intent so that we can all really learn together how to navigate in these changing times. Yeah. And speaking of changing times, what do you, what do you think? Like, what do you see is ahead for us as I'm starting to, you know, just informally pull my friends who are in the, in the corporate space, sounding like there's some maybe going back in June in some uh, areas. Some they're just waiting till the fall, but it sounds like there's going to be a move back into the office. What do you see for digital body language in the next one, two, five, eight years? There are two things that I have noticed that I'm excited and optimistic about. Mm-hmm. The first is as we move back to a true hybrid workplace and marketplace for those in sales and marketing roles. One of the opportunities we have that has been unlocked in the last year is to be less geographically biased and less visually biased to who was in the room or who had a seat at the table and allow anyone to zoom in and to be part of the conversation. Mm -hmm. This was not happening in the past. Yeah, Uh, We would have office meetings. Some people would join by phone, but we were completely visually biased, just like that pre-pandemic story I shared about the conference call. And so we can ask ourselves, who can we include and how can we be more inclusive as a result of this experience? The second thing that I've discovered that I didn't expect, but had that came out of my research is that our digital body language, especially a year of really 100% digital body language, is actually changing our physical body language. As we move back to the office, some of the common themes I've seen, we are more impatient. We're used to back and back, meeting to meeting, starting on time. We think in bullet points because we've been reading emails for a year. So we want people to get to the point. We're not as used to a privy to direct eye contact. We're used to looking down at our phones at other places in the room. And even in certain cases, we can miss cues like the lean in because 
today, we are used to so many screens with us while we are engaging with people Mm face-to-face. So we are in a new world where digital body language is shaping our traditional body language with Mm -hmm. phones and screens in the room. And I'm excited uh, about the opportunities, but I think at the same time, just like we spent years mastering traditional body language, we kind of have to relearn eye contact again after a year of no direct eye contact besides our family members. And we also have to flex and master this new skill of digital body language so that we can be inclusive to all. I don't know what your publishing schedule looks like, but I think your next book should actually... This is my my personal opinion, but I'm thinking about this. You know, there's digital native, but now think about this generation of kids who are in elementary school right now. I have a lot of sadness about it because elementary school is a magical time. And I'm so sad that my, like, I remember my elementary school teachers shaped, I mean, I told my first story when I was in fifth grade. Uh, My whole life has been, (laughs) has moved forward from that moment. Um, So there's sadness, but I think there's also some exciting, I will never forget the day. This was, this was the end of the school year last year and they were doing virtual recess. That's how they did recess. So the kids would, it was like a time to play on the iPad and there was a, they had an excellent, my son was in third grade. He had an excellent teacher that would come on for a virtual recess and facilitate these games. And one was like, um, hangman. And so my son was on his iPad and he was in the zoom meeting. They were playing this game. His friend FaceTimed him, who was on the other team. My son muted himself on Zoom, was able to pick up the FaceTime call, tell his friend what the answer was, His hang up the FaceTime call, unmute himself on Zoom, or his friend told him, like they were, no, I do not support cheating, but I was blown away at what they are capable of doing there's there's an ease there's a there that there's something completely different um that i've seen happen with my young children having to communicate entirely digitally and yes they they miss their friends and and we're very committed to making sure that they have face to face time with their friends as you were putting this book together did you look into or it was mostly workspace i suppose but did you see any evidence of of kids and and digital body language? Kendra, I have like four books ahead of me. One for kids, one for women versus men, one yes. for global cultures. And the good news is in part three of my book, I do tackle gender generation and culture at the high level. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's probably a whole new set of books there. But let me tell you some of the insights that I found from the the generation chapter that really looked at some of these differences across age groups. Generally that I've identified, there are digital natives who use digital body language skills in a very different way than the other end of the spectrum who I call digital body language adapters. These are people that are still struggling with remote work that, Mm -hmm. you know, have reluctance with technology that are really struggling in a different way. And it's not just age-based. I know 50-year-olds that are digital natives. I know 35-year-olds that are digital adapters. And, and so what the, what I've generally seen is that we have to be thoughtful that we are not the same when it comes to the workplace. I'll give you a, a more fun, a similar example to your sons, which is when my father texts me, it starts with Dear Erica and ends with Love Dad. And it's as long as a letter that I have to scroll down. And I haven't quite taught him that a text is not a letter. 
but it's just an example that we're all on different wavelengths. And so your son and the next generation of digital natives are like 10 times where we are, Kendra. And I think that this is an important learning where they will be more savvy in digital body language. Older generations will be much more savvy in traditional body language. Uh, I remember a Gen Z uh, intern of mine who was taking messages for me and I share the story in the book. Uh, you know, he said, Bob called when I came back from a meeting and I said, Bob from Idaho, Bob from Minnesota, like which Bob? <laughs> and, you know, my intern didn't know how to take a message because they didn't grow up with landlines. They grew yeah. up with cell phones or you could see exactly who, who came in. So this is just an example of this language learning that we're going to have to do on both sides. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited to see. I'm going to have to just pace myself and be like, I, I've already in some cases just given up. I don't even know. I can't follow. I can't follow their communication. So we, we've talked a lot about um, emails and stuff, but I want to talk specifically here about Zoom. Uh, I feel like Zoom is here to stay. I don't know about you. I had a Zoom account before it was like a, a cool thing. I know. Me too. I go way back. I feel like I, curve. I was like, oh, I saw this. I saw this coming. So, um, and, and I'm particularly interested. I know, I know you do a lot of uh, keynote speaking. I do a lot of keynote speaking and it's been interesting to now bring that uh, digital uh, to do it just, just on a screen. And I have people ask me, you know, what's your advice? Should I, what should I do? Like, should I include my hands? Should I, um, and I don't, I don't really know. All I know is to do what I do. So do you have any do's and don'ts for Zoom communication in high stakes? You know, maybe you're, maybe you're giving a sales pitch, maybe you're giving a presentation, maybe you're in a job interview. What are a few do's and don'ts? Let me give you three do's and three do's to start. And then we'll do some don'ts. The first do, uh, look into the camera, especially when you're presenting and it's a high stakes conversation. According to a study by Quantified Analytics, we make eye contact face-to-face about 30 to 60% of the time. Because we are on Zoom, we want to ideally be making eye contact about 60% of the time. Again, if it's a one-on-one or group chat, that's a bit different. But for a presentation, even though you may not be able to see everyone, others feel a greater connection to you if they think you are looking at them. Secondly, I recommend being far away enough from the camera so individuals can see some of your hand gestures, but not too far where they can't see your facial expressions. Mm -hmm. So it's just that even distance in between. Third, I think that there's been a lot of talk about virtual backgrounds and I'm a big fan of just being yourself and being authentic as long as it's not distracting, as long as you don't have a child or a pet coming in for a high stakes pet presentation. Again, we all have more grace around these things, but for those high stakes meetings and focusing more on your gestures and your engagement and your attention is what Mm -hmm. matters. And then last but not least, just always arrive prepared, be on time and be thoughtful about that. And starting on time, ending on time is like the new art of respect. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see how people, if, if it'll increase punctuality in real life meetings, but you said something there that that is, it's interesting. I've had a few meetings um, or done a few keynotes where I typically have a, uh, just like a plain blue background that I put up because I think it's crisp and clean, but I've had a few clients, big ones say, Oh, can we just see, can you just be in your house or in your 
room. And in some cases I could, in some cases I just couldn't because Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm in an apartment in New York City. You know, there's yeah, I know <laughs> there aren't a lot of options. Um, but but it is like I think that business runs the risk of becoming so. You know, you have the titles, you have the. It can be so formal, and I think one of the great things that is happening in this digital in this Zoom places humans. I feel like have more permission to be human. Did you see that or cat? Did you see that video that went around of the guy at the trial who had a filter on that made him a cat? I don't think I have laughed that hard in so long. This is a moment where we can open ourselves up to show who we really are. And there was so much mast in the corporate office yeah. that we've been able to reveal in the last year, whether it was our favorite painting behind us mm -hmm. in our home space or the fact that, you know, there are three screaming children when our colleague gets home to really have yeah. empathy to what they're going through. And so if we take this moment to really reflect and remember that, and I would actually recommend in certain spaces, use your authentic background. Of course, like make sure it's clean and not too yeah. distracting, but otherwise it's a great space so that we can show more of ourselves. That's been one of the best things about it. And I hope that that gets carried forward as it moves, as we move back into the office and and, and we have that true hybrid environment. Um, so Erica, I, I'm sure you have a lot of stories um, about digital body language. So tell me, do you have... I mean, what has been your most embarrassing? Do you have one or like one of those times where you just like <laughs> really messed up uh, your your digital body language? Let me give you two examples. Oh, good. Okay, good. <laughs> uh, you know, one where I, I think I was really the culprit and another where I'm not sure and it's a bit open-ended, which is a good thought for all of us. So I'll give you one. Um, I was working late on a Sunday night and, you know, similar to you, Kendra, doing keynotes and doing consulting work with clients around collaboration. And I was sending out a, a list of things for an upcoming an event to one of my clients, Sam Karen. And I drafted the email. I spent probably a good 15, 20 minutes. It was thoughtful, bold, underlined headings. It had all the plan and had the agenda, a lot of the details. And it was also Sunday night. It was like 9 p.m. I was exhausted. And uh, I probably shouldn't have been sending an email that late, but I was yeah. just in the rush to do things. I finish the email. I go to the two line. I write Karen. It's in. I click send. 30 seconds later, right after the amount of time it takes to be able to undo, I realized I sent it to a Karen at a different company. I was so embarrassed. <sighs> I sent this whole to-do list and this was a Karen that I was, you know, courting to maybe do some work together. So I immediately say, please disregard this. Luckily, there was no confidential information. Right. Um, you know, it was just some thoughts. But what I really learned from that was to think before you type, you know, take a step back and hold your horses, slow down, less haste equals more speed. Mm -hmm. And the pressure to go fast can cause us to make mistakes, whether it was a mistake like this or some really bad ones that I tell in the book of one woman who replied all to a company chain saying something inappropriate that she meant to just send to two of her girlfriends at the company that ended up getting her fired. Yeah. So 
Digital body language is not trivial. It's not just about how to look good on Zoom. It's about how you make others feel in a modern marketplace. And it can make or break careers now. Let me give you another example that I think is important around the nuances of when we receive, receive messages from others. I had met the CFO of a Fortune 500 company and we had breakfast and she said, I'd be happy to introduce you to someone I know. His name was John. And I sent her an email following up. Thank you so much for the connection to John. Like here's a blurb that you can send. About a week later, I thought it would be helpful to maybe send a reminder. I knew that she might've been busy. And so I sent her an email saying, uh, you know, dear ex, I know you're really busy. And so I wanted to just send you this quick, you know, reminder whenever you get the chance. And I got an instant reply back saying, I wouldn't, she, she basically said, I would recommend that you never start an email with, I know you're really busy. Mm-hmm. And it was a little bit passive aggressive. And it was a very important moment to, for me because I think I had good intentions there. Yeah. But in that scenario, there was a high power gap. We didn't know each other very well. Yeah. And it's easy in certain cases for others to read into things. Again, I ended up being introduced and everything was fine. But I think we have to understand that everyone's in different places and spaces. So give grace. If something does happen or this isn't, or if there's misalignment, just let it go and move forward. And with these simple practices, we can all get better together. Yeah. And and I do think it's, this isn't, um, this kind of goes, this is a whole different tangent that isn't workplace, but I'm, I'm even thinking about, I'm fortunate that I don't get many of them, but, but sometimes I'll just get, whether it's a comment on Instagram or an email from somebody who received one of my, they signed up to get my emails and they want to write me back and say something. Um, and you know how, and, and even I've actually even had it happen in, while I was, uh, I had one instance where I had pre-recorded a keynote and so they were playing it and they wanted me on live to chat as it was playing. And somebody in the chat was like, why is she, it was, it was a story about me not being good at science. She's like, I don't think we should be teaching our young daughters that they're not good at science. I'm like, no, no. I am not good at science. There are other people who are, but, but she's saying this, not realize I'm sitting right there. Right. And so, so there is this moment of, do I not respond to, you know, somebody sends an email to you and you, you're, you, you get angry. And so you want to shoot it back. It's and not in the workplace. Um, how important it is to just pause and wait and let that initial emotion because we can we can type fire with our fingers so quickly we can type fire and it can hurt mm-hmm. us you know in many ways i've had you know fights with my sister and my own mother on text message yes. it's not just you know fans or customers or yeah. colleagues and and i think at the end of the day first we have to avoid getting emotionally hijacked some people are just rushing and they're not thinking before yeah. they type, like, you know, digital body language preaches. Secondly, if it's, especially if it's an email back and forth or a chat, just pause. Don't yep. respond immediately if you're not in a good place. I recommend the pregnant pause overnight yep. and come back yep. to it the next morning, draft an email draft and come it. back to if it. That feels day, good. That's right. Yeah. And you'll sleep on it or ask a trusted advisor. So one time I had my husband read one of my emails because uh, a client who hadn't paid, an invoice and I had to follow up multiple times. And in my email, I kept writing, 
you know, I could you just do this? It would just be nice. I kept uh, saying the word just and my husband went and he's like, why are you putting just in here four yeah. times? And sometimes just another eye can go a long way. Yes. There's so much to unpack. I, you have many, many books ahead of you. I will just keep sending my ideas your way because I'm sure you, I'll send them via email with lots of emojis. Um, but, I'll take, I'll, I'll have the Kindra stories in the book in the yeah, next there, one. Yeah, there you go. Erica, where can people find you and where can they get this awesome book? Tell us about that. Digital body language is available everywhere. Amazon, Audible, uh, you know, Barnes and Nobles, you name it. You can also learn more about me at ericadewan.com. I have a special digital body language quiz on the site so that you can understand your own style. And for those of you that love sharing on social, you can find me on Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Yay. Well, Erica, I have so enjoyed this conversation. Um, we mentioned it before, but we're we're pretty much neighbors. So we're going to get together in person too sometime. That'll be... Um, now I'm going to be really worried about how I'm like moving my face. I'm going to have to practice eye contact again with the communication, nonverbal communication expert like you, Kendra. I no, I mean, it is. It's going to be. But I am so, I am so grateful that you took the time to join this show. And I can't wait to hear uh, the changes you make with this book. I hope this is just the beginning of your continued success story. Thank you, Kendra. And thank you for helping all of us share our stories. If you enjoyed this conversation, look up an inch or down an inch and check out all of our previous discussions. You can find those at iTunes, Spotify, Overcast, Stitcher, or wherever finer podcasts are sold. And of course, check out the latest issue of Success Magazine by heading over to success.com slash subscribe and get more inspiring stories like this delivered right to your front door. Be sure to give us a review on Apple iTunes and you can find me at KindraHall.com or on Instagram at KindraHall. That is Kindra with an I. I can't wait to hear the stories you'll tell. Until next time. Bye.